welcome to the CEO.Digital Show. My name's Craig McCartney. And I'm Darcy Thompson-Fields. And this is an open exploration of technologies and trends straight from the C-suite. You'll hear insights that will help you better deliver results for your company and its stakeholders now and in the future. You can find out more and stay up to date at CEO.Digital. Craig, how did you find the interview with Mary? Darcy, I love talking to Mary truly inspirational, so involved in the the transformation of the healthcare industry, not just in the States, but across many different countries and locations. I love talking to her. What about you? Yeah, it was fantastic. She was incredibly positive and especially as she was relaying some quite emotional stories from the COVID-19 pandemic, it was great to hear kind of some individual stories of not just doctors and nurses, but also those kind of unsung heroes within the healthcare system, you know, how they responded to this pandemic and how technology and innovation enabled them to stay connected and to deal with this. It was, yeah, incredibly interesting. There's lots to get through in this episode. Shall we get into it? Yes, let's do it. Our guest this week is Mary Edwards, President of the Healthcare Provider Business at NTT Data Services. Mary is an experienced leader with over 30 years experience in senior roles in healthcare and a 20 plus year career in consulting. She currently heads up business and technology modernization initiatives for some of the world's biggest healthcare providers and is overseeing some groundbreaking changes that are shaping the entire future of the industry. Mary, welcome to the CEO.Digital show. It's great to be here. Thank you. It's great to have you, Mary. And as always with all of our shows, you are going to be the star of the interview. And (laughs) because of that, uh, we want to learn more about you. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your career to date and how you got to where you are today. Well, as Darcy mentioned, you know, I spent 22 years in in consulting as a partner at Ernst & Young, Capgemini and Accenture, always in healthcare, uh, leading some of the largest clients and serving in a variety of leadership roles, running regional P&Ls in the U.S., leading global business development for uh, health and public service across a $5 billion business unit, leading federal health care for a time. And, you know, I retired from Accenture in 2016, and then I, I hopped over to a client who had started a BPAS company, Platform as a Service Company. I was helping them build the commercial market capabilities and, you know, drive growth. Uh, I spent a couple years doing that, and then I uh, retired again. And six months later, NTT called and uh, I've been leading the provider business for NTT ever since for about the last two years. Great. And now let's talk a little bit about NTT data services. Can you tell our listeners what does the healthcare division do and where does your role and your responsibilities lie within that? Oh, sure. So NTT data services is part of NTT, a uh, over $100 billion company with roots in the Japanese telecom market. And at NTT Data Services, we drive digital transformation of infrastructure, applications, business processes, and organizations. And we do that through digital and business consulting, integration, AI, RPA, dynamic workplace services, security, you know, a variety of services that our clients you know, consume as they transform themselves. We focus on innovation and transformation 
uh, and NTT invests over $3.5 billion a year in R&D, supporting the development of transformative uh, products and services. So I-, I serve as president of the healthcare provider division of NTT Data Services, and um, you know we serve, as uh, again, uh, Darcy mentioned, hospitals, uh, systems, health systems across the country, North America, and, and in fact, you know, the broader NTT around the world. You touched on your kind of like vast array of experience there. Um, but what is it that really drew you into healthcare in particular? You know, even before I joined consulting, I was in healthcare. Um, you know, I, I worked for 14 years in the blues and actuarial and underwriting and, and strategy, right? And and that, frankly, is a job I, you know, landed into. I uh, graduated from college and didn't know, you know, what I would do as the first job I got. And, um, oh my gosh, there's so much change happening at the time. I don't want to date myself too much, but it was kind of like when HMOs were invented, and it was really interesting to see how care could transform. And there were lots of ideas in those days that actually couldn't be enabled through technology as they are today. So I always had this, you know, especially from my strategy and planning background, this desire to see what we had, you know, what we had envisioned and uh, conceived. How could it come true? Yeah. And, uh, you know, as you get to know healthcare and the issues facing us, in terms of healthcare infrastructure, in terms of, you know, limited resources, in terms of healthcare's reach uh, to people who need it the most, um, you know, and it's, it's limitations in that, in that way, it kind of gets in your blood. And um, I'm really excited to be at NTT right now when healthcare is rapidly transforming. It's kind of what keeps me in the game. I keep coming back because <laughs> maybe it'll happen this time. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah, I mean, you're clearly passionate about transformation in the healthcare industry. And you kind of mentioned a little bit about NTT data and what you're offering there. But why is it that NTT data is so well positioned to deliver that transformation for the industry? Uh, Well, you know, I didn't even know who NTT was before I joined. Of course, I did before I joined joined because they called and I did my homework. And I couldn't believe what I learned. NTT data's heritage is in you know, integration platforms, or as I like to say, connective tissue. We are the fabric that runs hospitals across the country. So we understand deeply the integration and interoperability needed to transform healthcare. We, we enabled siloed functionality and data to be joined uh, you know, across workflow automation, data orchestration, and AI across the value chain. You know, in healthcare, we do that through um, kind of envision the next state of healthcare through something we call Nucleus for Healthcare. And we also, you know, um, are thinking about new models through smart IoT. And we leverage use cases and concepts from across other industries. So, for instance, the work we're doing in City of Las Vegas, which we call Smart City and is, you know, uh, all about um, the Internet of Things and how uh, connecting them and aggregating data provides deeper and better insight. It helps the city be safer. It increases situational awareness from policing to parks and recreation. And those same things can be applied to healthcare, either to the physical space in healthcare or, or to ICU units, right? So it's just this ecosystem of capability 
that we are constantly looking at how uh, we can evolve and transform, you know, for the business problem in front of us uh, by leveraging things that have worked in other industries or imagining, you know, how to apply it to the new uh, situation. I mentioned the three and a half billion dollars of R&D we do annually, and we, we also have a $500 million venture cap fund with healthcare as its priority. So, um, you know, it's kind of like I found a match, you know, for my passion for transforming healthcare with a company who's uh, passionate about lifelong health and well-being, not just at NTT Data Services, but across the entire ecosystem at NTT. So you mentioned AI, you mentioned IoT. Are these the, the technologies that are revolutionizing healthcare at the moment? Are there any others that deserve a mention? Well, you know, uh, there are technologies and there are capabilities, right? So I mentioned a whole bunch of things in, in what I just said before, but how do they come together in, in, uh, in capabilities that actually change the way we work in healthcare? You know, obviously the virtual health capabilities that skyrocketed during the pandemic will continue to have a profound transformative effect in healthcare. Not just the virtual patient visit, but the virtual experience of patients from their pursuit of health through their need for care. It'll also affect the way caregivers work. Um, virtual enables safer, less stressful work environments for nurses and better informed um medical and social, you know, uh, fabric uh, about the care uh, status of, you know, our, our patients and citizens. So to do that, you need the technologies that I mentioned before, but also new and emerging technologies, you know, zero latency technologies that enable, you know, data in an instant that create no space between, you know, uh, what you what I say and what you hear or the image, you know, that presents you need data aggregation at, um, you know, massive scale uh, and synchronization, orchestration, secure exchange technologies. And we're both inventing and investing in these to support our clients for the next generation of healthcare. Yeah. And, you know, COVID is one of those situations which forced rapid transformation. You know, when our backs are against the wall, that's what we do best as humans. And you touched on it slightly, but should we expect this sort of scale and transformation to continue after we've come through the other side of the pandemic? Yeah. Has this opened the door um, for you know such rapid innovation and transformation to continue, do you think? I do. I think we learned so much. Um, it will both continue and relax. You know, let me say that it's like we stretched a rubber band, right? And, and if you stretch it so far, it will never go back to its original state, but it will uh, be, I don't know, more elastic maybe is the uh, way I'm thinking about it. You know, there's nothing like a crisis to bring people together and to solve in an instant what, believe me, in healthcare took committees months or years to do, right? And a few a few months ago, I did a panel discussion with uh, Franciscan Health Care's uh, CIO. And he talked about how doctors and nurses, the medical professionals in the care settings, um, became how engaged they became in driving the change that needed to happen, you know, to address the situation they were in. You know, traditionally, it's been difficult to engage that community in adopting change. These folks were driving the change, right? Uh, demanding the change, uh, 
you know, creating new ways of working every day. And, you know, he talked about how do we bottle that so it could be applied when, you know, the crisis was over. And the truth is healthcare has been in a crisis for years. So if we can just remember uh, the lessons of what it took to come together quickly, solve, you know, effectively, collaborate, you know, across the seams of healthcare, then, you know, maybe we can bottle that and, uh, you know, keep the momentum going. I'd like to think that we can. And of course, I'm heavily invested in ensuring that we do. (laughs) Fantastic. I'd love to hear as well, Mary, about how the pandemic affected you and your own team (sighs) in the immediate term. Kind of what challenges did you face and how did you overcome that massive disruption? Yeah, well, I mean, I'll talk, you know, NTT is a big place and there are many different teams who you know, stepped up to the challenge uh, that we faced. Uh, But, you know, speaking of my team, I mean, we work in hospitals uh, and healthcare settings every day, making sure the technology runs and works. You know, I have field services technicians uh, who, uh, you know, do rounds on the floor, you know, checking in on, on tech. So, you know, uh, we've read a lot about doctors and nurses as heroes, and they are. And so was everyone who entered the care arena, whether you were, you know, mopping the floors or collecting a PC, you know, to be retrieved. Uh, So, you know, our our team went through the same, um, you know, if I say emotional crises that everybody went through, they saw such dire uh, situations in, in ERs and ICUs. They used to do their work, you know, go collect a PC and bring it back to their, uh, you know, workstation in some back room of a hospital, you know, behind the stage. Uh, and when COVID hit, they had to suit up, of course, to get that laptop, but they also couldn't leave the care arena. They had to do their work right there because, you know, moving that equipment, you know, could create a situation where you're actually creating uh, an extension of the pandemic outside of the walls of the ER, right? Mm. They couldn't go home to their families. They lived in the garage. They, you know, many, many different uh, types of workers in these care settings, you, you know, had to do that. Again, in a crisis, you do that in an instant, you figure it out, everybody falls in. I was so, so proud of our team. And we did things as a company uh, that hoped to help. So we did crisis counseling. We brought in some counselors who had dealt with, uh, you know, survivors of other horrible events, 9-11, for instance. And, you know, what they observed was that those were different types of crises. They happened in a moment and created a certain kind of, you know, high level stress in an instant. This was a prolonged and continues to be, you know, a prolonged stress. And so we had to find the ways to help our team uh, deal with, you know, uh, a, a prolonged stress situation, as I think many of our, our clients did as well. Mm. That's so important. You read so much at the moment about kind of different healthcare professionals kind of dealing with the PTSD that they've got from, you know, having dealt uh, with, you know, overflowing hospitals, etc. And, you know, it's really good to hear about those slightly more unsung people within the industry uh, that were working in, you know, even things like technology support, etc. As you said, so um, I mean, are there any kind of particular roles within your team that that really shifted uh, in order to help kind of deal with the the change that the crisis brought about? 
Oh, my goodness. Well, every role shifted. But, you know, again, no time to do the traditional thing. So there were no org charts and role descriptions. (laughs) There was just the work that had to happen, the way we had to get it done, uh, teams coming together, you know, rapidly. You had obligations to to this team uh, for a certain thing, as well as that team for a certain thing. You switched hats, you know, uh, you know, pretty uh, frequently through the day uh, to solve the myriad of problems. One day, it's how to get PPE to uh, your team in the field. The next day, it's how to get, um, you know, tens of thousands of laptop uh, desktops from um, the offices in India to the homes where our people had to go work and how to solve for the, um, you know, lack of uh, industrialized internet, you know, in the rural places in India where many of our team live. You know, they uh, frequently in India, people, you know, come to the city and have a place in the city, work through the day and go home, you know, rurally. But in COVID, you want to be home, right? You need to be around uh, as much as you can be, you know, despite the fact that you're quarantining everywhere, but you, you want to be with uh, family. And so, you know, we we're solving all those kinds of logistics issues. Um, what do you do when uh, the team is allowed to come to work <clears throat> because they're considered essential workers? You sleep in the office, right? So all these kinds of problems had to be solved and there was no time to figure out what the committee structure was going to be and how often the committee would meet, right? You just got it done. And talking about, you mentioned different countries. uh, So let's talk about different cultures. You know, there's a technology element in, in driving transformation, but there's also the people element, which is so important. You know, how do you roll the view of culture and people within driving that transformation and how did it work across so many different offices and time zones and, and different people? Oh, my goodness. Um, that's a big question. Uh, it's about, you know, culture and behavior. And um, I think culture of a place comes through in a crisis. Uh, in some ways, a crisis will, you know, set perhaps a foundation for the next culture in a place as well. But culture really shines through, right, um, these times as well. And so, you know, if NTT weren't the collaborative, inventive, you know, problem-solving kind of culture that it is, we might not have been able to do, and in fact, you know, some of our clients give us feedback that we, you know, we did what we did better than some of their other vendors. You know, I'm very proud of that. And I don't, you know, uh, I'm sure, you know, uh, we have many things to learn, but we really were able to come together quickly. And you saw our culture, you know, shine through that, the collaborative, um, partnerial, um, inventive, you know, parts of our culture. Uh, And that's a, you know, something that exists across you know, the fabric of our, our company across time zones, across geographies, as, as you say, right? But then at the same time, my goodness, uh, you couldn't possibly, sitting in the U.S., understand what your uh, colleagues in India were facing or in Manila, in, in Mexico, in uh, the various places, you know, that we do business. And Part of that, in Japan, where our you know headquarters was, part of that was because the pandemic rolled, didn't it? It rolled across 
regions, right? And so you'd be sitting in your context, you know, what's the big deal? And in, you know, another, you know, part of the world, the deal was really big, right? So you had to quickly uh, remember every day to uh, walk in another's shoes, right? Your context wasn't their context. And to bring, um, you know, empathy and um, humility, frankly, you know, we think we suffer in the U.S. People were going through unbelievable uh, circumstances in other parts of the world. And, you know, you learned not to complain. Yeah, I mean, that is incredible, Mary. I mean, are there any particular kind of standout stories from individuals or kind of any one of your clients from that time and, you know, how they were able to utilize the technology or just adapt to the circumstances that we were put into? Yeah, well, so, you know, great stories and then really uh, touching stories, right? So, um yeah, I think about the hospital system, you know, in, in the Northeast that, uh, you know, was duct taping iPads to IV poles, right? Rolling them around oh, wow. <laughs> to, uh, you know, uh, do virtual rounding, right? You know, connect the doctors to the patients without the doctors entering the room. Someone had to enter the room because the IV pole had to <laughs> get in there somehow, right? But you know, how do you, you know, extend the workforce in that way? It takes a lot of time for a doctor to round room to room to room. And uh, you could collapse time if you could, you know, get that um, virtual rounding to happen in a way that, you know, that it was just patient up next, patient up next. And someone else was, you know, doing the walking between rooms. So how do we you know, rapidly uh, expand the capacity that we have in the limited resource that was available. So, you know, really creative uh, stories. Another, you know, hospital system who, you know, they weren't doing elective procedures. So people who used to do uh, lab, uh, you know, were all deployed to the ER. How do you get them rapidly up to speed in terms of what they're going to face? And, uh, you know, we were part of helping them know what technology they needed to use and how to use it then in that a new care setting that they hadn't been in before. And then they're really, um, again, back to my team, heroic stories of people who, you know, put their bed in their basement uh, and their computer next to their bed and, you know, slept when they could and were so concerned for their team that they stayed kind of always on. Uh, making sure their team, you know, had what they needed to be able to work fast and effectively in those care settings. Um, I have one wonderful uh, individual who got a call from a nurse, you know, was there any kind of laptop or device that they could find because uh, one of her patients, that nurse's patients, wanted to say goodbye to her family. And, you know, um, the story about how uh, my team member you know, found that device and got it there in time is just, you know, it makes it you know, as I said, it's touching uh, how people rose to those challenges. Yeah, it is really touching to hear those stories and hear how people rose to those challenges. And like we touched on earlier, it's it's a cultural shift as much as a technological one. It really relies on the individuals and the people behind it willing to kind of uh, make that, that technology work. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, yeah, how... I would just say you... They learn what they can do, 
right? Mm -hmm. It expands their idea of what they're capable of. And we learn what they can do. It expands our idea of what our teams are capable of. And, you know, that's a gift from COVID as well. It is, it is definitely. And I mean, even beyond healthcare industry, we have witnessed a huge cultural shift, right, in the future of the workplace and how it's going to look. Because mm. not only is the, the the cultural change and, you know, people have, have witnessed and understood uh, how it can work with a kind of remote workforce or a distributed workforce, um, but also the technological shift. As you said, you know, we've mm-hmm. kind of been forced into these rapid digital transformations that through that have found ways that we can, you know, have really successful distributed working. So how do you think that will play out in healthcare? Do you think it is a place where we're going to witness a new kind of more modernized workforce going forward? Yeah, yeah, I think every every workplace uh, and therefore workforce will be different. It'll be less Dilbert if I can, you know, say it that way, right? You remember before the transformation of the financial systems, right, uh, to more virtual and the the way banks looked. You know, the lines were crowded. You knew when not to go to the bank. You do that, you know, in healthcare now too, right? So it's going to be emptier, you know, right. People will come to place when place is required, even for care. I don't need to come to the doctor's office for wound care. I can take a picture with my camera. We have the technology. You can take it every day, and the technology will inform the doctor about whether a visit is needed or not, right? Those kinds of things will happen. And then, you know, you'll come to an office when uh, it's required for collaboration, And likely you'll be elsewhere, wherever you want to be, when that isn't required. So, you know, imagine no offices or individual cubes. Imagine creative spaces, flexible spaces that, you know, that enable a variety of configurations. Those places exist today and they're usually on, you know, one floor of an office for the executives to have their strategic, you know, session in it, right? But imagine walls as windows to new ideas. Um, rather than people sitting with their heads bowed at their laptops, they're at those walls, right, that can be used as immersive places, right? Uh, reimagining workflow, standing in the workflow, reimagining workplaces, standing in the workplace, reimagining cities, you know, with those uh, buildings around you. These immersive experiences are going to, um, you know, I think be, you know, part of the next generation of, uh, of the workplace, uh, we've built those immersive spaces uh, through NTT Disruption, one of our um, companies, and it is a very exciting way to work and really accelerates your ability to imagine change. It's it's fantastic. So I'm really excited about about all of that and uh, excited that it will be less Dilbert. <laughs> And are you you mentioned one thing that NTT Data are doing? Um, do you are there lots of plans for these immersive experiences or the, these collaboration spaces? Is that something that's been in, looked at and, and rolled out currently? Yeah, I mean, we you know I was at our San Francisco uh, office uh, last week, uh, you know, re- uh, reviewing right the uh, physical you know uh, 
plant around that, the technology that enables it, you know, working with the team who facilitate the executive uh, interactions. Uh, I shouldn't say executive interactions. It's really the team interactions that that happen there. And the way we will, um, from that center point, orchestrate those immersive experiences across the country, the world, where those stages, you know, if I call it that, those stages will be built, right? So I don't have to have uh, teams with that kind of uh, rare and scarce capability, because that's what it is right now, in every place. I can have that Uh, I can have those walls in every place and I can have the orchestration of that experience in one place in San Francisco, right? And later in more places as, you know, that capability becomes more uh, ubiquitous. Uh, But again, amazing what virtual can do for us. Even in that example, you couldn't have done that without, um, you know, the way technology has uh, uh, progressed uh, the way, you know, speed and uh, connectivity has industrialized, you know, th- th- those are the things that are necessary for that kind of experience to emerge. Yeah. And what about the the future of the hybrid healthcare workplace? What are your views or predictions on what that will look like? Yeah. Well, you know, we actually did a short video on this maybe, well, before the pandemic, you know, two years ago maybe two and a half years ago now, you know, it was workplace of the future in healthcare. What will the physical plant of a hospital look like? And I said earlier, you know, kind of empty, (laughs) Uh, you know, uh, people at big boards interacting with uh, patients at home. Right now we're on small screens, you know, imagine, you know, big boards, as I said, you know, walls, windows, right into that next world or, you know, that different setting. Imagine, you know, equipment that's needed for rehab at home and instruction, you know, happening virtually. Mm. Imagine, you know, how we can get to remote care. You know, we talk about health equity all the time. We have the, you know, emerging capabilities for health equity now to reach rural places, to engage patients, uh, not necessarily rural patients who have been difficult to engage before, not just because, you know, the Uh, fiber has been, you know, laid, but because we understand so much more about humans and psychographic, you know, profiles and how to, and how to engage and encourage uh, wellness, right, behavior. So all of those things are going to have an impact uh, to how physical plant works. And, you know, probably, I mean, in this uh, forecast that we made two and a half years ago, you know, uh, we predicted uh, probably from someone else's primary research, but we talked about how 60% of uh, hospital systems in, you know, five to seven years would would not uh, be in their physical structure any longer. The fact that there won't be hospital physical structures in the same way doesn't mean that health systems will collapse. It means that health systems have found new ways to deliver care in new formats, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's so incredible that that study was done a few years ago and we are where we are now. Um, mm-hmm. But are there any exciting kind of examples of, of clients or leaders within the healthcare industry that are a great case study for this kind of 
hybrid uh, modernization model are there any particular you know hospitals or providers at the moment who are uh, providing some quite exciting innovative care well you know it's, i i don't know a single major hospital system whose ceo isn't talking about digital front door and how to drive this you know virtualization of care so you know, I would say, you know, every major health system that I know that I talk to, they're talking about that. I would say every single health system uh, that I have the privilege of of being with or serving uh, has adopted some kind of technology in parts of the value chain that are, you know, impressive, uh, whether it's in virtual health or behavioral health payment technologies, uh, you, you know, things of that nature. So what's interesting to me is all that innovation is popping up along the value chain in silos and bits and pieces. And what we're working on at NTT Data is how to drive the integration across all of those uh, bits and pieces. How do you have an end-to-end patient experience, which is like what those CEOs are talking about? How do we create the digital front door into the healthcare system. And that's not into the hospital. It's not into the physical plant. It's into the healthcare eco, you know, system. And um, I think the the real exciting part, which I don't think anyone quite has cracked, uh, you know, Intermountain is an example of someone who has who has done this early, spent lots and lots of uh money doing it, right? First movers are like that and has done it for themselves. We're focused at NTT on how you can take those concepts and do it for everyone at a lower cost and in an accelerated fashion, connect the healthcare uh, value chain from end to end, from the need for care to the payment of care and across all of the you know uh, care modalities. One thing we haven't touched on, and hopefully it's not a curveball, but how how do you think 5G is going to impact or influence some of these things that you mentioned from a technology point of view is that in your plans or is that built in or do you think what we have currently right now is is suitable for for these new innovations well i i do i mean of course 5g right i mean it's necessary it's needed every nanosecond of you know eliminated latency in the experiences is important and will you know dramatically change how we experience things um Several years ago, I was on a stage and we hologrammed in uh, the CEO that I was working for at the time. And, uh, you know, to the audience, it was as if he were there. He was in France. I was, you know, uh, in, um, I guess I was in Chicago. So, uh, but, you know, the fist pump, you know, the, the <laughs> high five, all of that was orchestrated and it looked so real, right? But it was, man, it was hard to pull off. That's going to happen like just every day. It's very Walt Disney. You remember in the 70s when you went to Walt Disney and there was hologram world or whatever it was. (laughs) Like that 5G, sure, it's needed. But you know what? Something else is needed too. And that, um, you know, we're working uh, on on Zila. It's a zero latency technology that even, you know, helps us go beyond that. Those types of uh, progressions in, um, you know, speed, bandwidth, you know, all those things are going to be what enables this immersive, you know, set of experiences and, and the dramatic changes in, 
where we work, right? Because it will mm. feel real from wherever we are. Totally. Just before uh, we kind of get on to more of our, our quick fire round and some more fun questions, <laughs> something that really interests me about your story is that you've come back from retirement to work not once, but twice. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about what inspired you to do that and what your work means to you personally? Sure. So, you know, there are probably two uh, sides of this coin. One is that, uh, you know, most people will uh, say this, right? When they retire, their spouse kicks them out because, you know, they just can't take it. You know what I mean? So I have a little bit of that in my story. You know, I can't sit still. I, you know, I don't uh, just by personality relax. Maybe work is relaxed, right? So if I'm, if I'm home, um, my husband is disrupted while I'm, you know, moving furniture around and moving him in and out of rooms, right? And he's like, get out, right? <laughs> so, I mean, there's always that end of, of the story. But um, truly, I like, I like to solve things. I, um, I like the puzzle. Uh, and I enjoy coaching uh, people through that problem-solving um creating environments where um, for high performance teams, you know, um, and that is the, that's like magic when, when you can bring a team together and it feels uh, so fluid, right? Um, Everybody uh, just understanding exactly how we need to be uh, with each other and, you know, what needs to happen. And it just goes, right? And we had that experience during COVID, right? You can have that experience, you know, day to day in the way that you bring and form teams. I love that. I love that. So I miss that in retirement. And then it just always feels, I mean, when NTT called, I was not sitting still. I was creating an LLC, you know, going to do some independent consulting. You know, I'm a person who's never going to retire, but NTT called and I, I thought, you know, there's so much to solve in healthcare. I don't feel finished, right? The things I was thinking about 30 years ago when we were doing, you know, I was running strategy, those things could be here now. And here's a company who could enable that. I, you know, I can't help myself. I keep coming back. <laughs> well, I'm sure the healthcare industry uh, is very grateful to oh. you, Mary. And you seem like a very, very positive person, even through a, a tumultuous and difficult year. What keeps you positive and how do you transfer that same energy to your team? Um, no, you know, I guess I'm in some ways... I would just say, you know, born lucky with this disposition. Um, I also, you know, was uh, not born into an easy life. You know, I mean, I was, uh, again, I don't want to make overplay this because I am sitting in the United States of America where we're very, very lucky. But, you know, I, you know, as one of seven kids, my dad was a cop. You know, we often didn't have, you know, the things that were necessary. I had to work from a very young age. I have landed, um, you know, myself in, in this incredible and most fortunate uh, position, a uh, place I never th- could have imagined I would have been able 
to do as a child, really. Like I didn't have those examples in front of me. So I, I feel lucky every day. I feel lucky and grateful every day. And, um, you know, even in the worst of circumstance, um, you know, there's hope. Totally. I love that, Mary. Thanks for sharing that. Um, and, you know, I having kind of worked with and, and spoke with your team as well, I know, uh, you know, they do consider you a very inspiring leader and mentor. And um, you work with obviously kind of a variety of ages within your teams. And I was just wondering kind of what your thoughts are on the next generation of workforce. Oh, that's a good one. Well, you know, and we're hiring that next generation rapidly in our Nashville Innovation Center, and it's so much fun. I mean, they are so much smarter than I was at that age. (laughs) (laughs) They just, you know, like I Google everything. Uh, I learned like in, uh, you know, my 50s that uh, if you had a question, all you had to do was Google it and you'd find some answer, right? And in my 50s, the answers weren't nearly as good on the internet as they are today. Like there's so many more people, right? <laughs> and like they were born with six thumbs, these guys, right? They they are just so uh, savvy, so curious, so wanting to be a part of community, right? Which is the antithesis of, you know, what you a little bit of what you think, right? At least that's what I found with uh, the folks we're bringing in. Um, you know, because the fable is that, you know, uh, society is becoming antisocial, you know, because everybody's in their device. Mm-hmm. What I find is that people are craving uh, team and community. And it's so much fun, you know, to bring the group together and to have the experience of, you know, driving through them the technologies that are going to change healthcare, right? Because that's, that's what we're doing. They're the hub for uh, new and emerging uh, capabilities that will, you know, help us digitally transform, not just healthcare. I mean, we do other things with NTT. (laughs) That's all I care about. (laughs) (laughs) Fantastic. Thank you, Mary. Well, I mean, now we like to get onto our slightly more lighthearted, slightly more fun, quick fire round. I'm going to start with one of my favourites, because we've been speaking about technology, which is to find out what your guilty technology pleasure is. Are you, do you spend all your time on Twitter, Instagram? Do you, are you, do you like to binge Netflix? What's your guilty pleasure? No, I, I guess... Uh, if I had to say, you know, something I do every day, it's the New York Times crossword puzzle, which doesn't seem so technology savvy, except it is, you know, on my, uh, I have the app on my phone now. So I don't have to get the paper. I don't have to find a pencil because I like to do it in a pencil. You know, I, I, I can't kind of go to sleep at night if I haven't finished the crossword. Uh, I love so that's that. probably it. Believe that, believe it or not, you're actually, uh, the second guest to say that to me. <laughs> <laughs> That's because all your guests are old. <laughs> <laughs> we have a good mixture. Actually, I'm sure Mary. you do. Um, <laughs> Teasing. Yeah. So talking about your job, this is always one I find quite interesting and people answer this very differently every single time. If your family had to describe what you do versus what your boss things you do versus what your friends think you do, are they going to be close in their answer? Oh my gosh. Well, when my kids were little, they told everyone I was a teacher. I don't know where they got the idea, right? But maybe my husband, you know, said, well, mommy teaches people things. And I really, 
uh, like that idea. I'd like to think, you know, it's true. Right. But that, that was always, uh, funny to me. Um, uh, my boss probably thinks, you know, I live to disrupt things, you, you know, uh, pain in the whatever sometimes, right? Because nothing can stay as it is. Why, you know, wouldn't we do it another way? Um, my friends uh, probably uh, can't figure it out and don't don't care to spend the time <laughs> doing it, you know. I try not to uh, be too much of, of work in their, uh, in their presence. Oh, I'm sure. I've told my friends about 50 times what I do and they still have no idea. Yeah, so right. yeah, I've, just... I've stopped that conversation <laughs> as well. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, the part of what we're doing with you at NTT Data Mary is obviously working on a series of events across rco.digital and chief wine officer brands. And that's kicking off uh, with one of our chief wine officer events on August 3rd. So mm. I'd love to ask you what your favorite wine is. Well, I'm, I'm writing that down because I don't think it's on my calendar and I'd really like to <laughs> come to that. So I'll go get the team to make sure I get booked. Uh, which wine would I be? Um, I would be a uh, 1994 California cab. Nice. <laughs> That's what I would be. Very specific. <laughs> nice. <laughs> my favorite. Maybe that was the year I began to drink wine and it was just a very good year. And so my, uh, unfortunately... Uh, you know, my palate was formed in a very good year. <laughs> it's a it's a good problem to have a, a delicious wine, I uh, believe. Yeah. That's why I need to get to the party. It's an expensive problem to have. Always nice when someone else is buying. Definitely. <laughs> and did you pick up any new hobbies over the course of the pandemic? You know, uh, I was very focused on health. Um, so I don't... <sighs> You know, exercise as a hobby, hobbies sound fun and exercise doesn't sound that, does it? But I got into cycling. I'm, you know, I'm not like, you know, a profound cycler, but, um, there wasn't a lot you could do, uh, you know, during the pandemic. So I, um, you know, you could be on a bike and you could be outside and you could, you know, get exercise and get out and recharge and, you know, all of that. So I did kind of take up cycling. I really enjoy it. Great. Yeah, I did too. It's it's one of the, it's like you say, a hobby, but it can be enjoyable. I think you get to a point where it starts to be enjoyable because you get those it's the, endorphins, <laughs> but it's just the that first part, that like the setup, it's a bit annoying, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, you have to say like it, endorphins. I'm going to get endorphins. You have to remind yourself that you're going to have them <laughs> at the end of the ride. <laughs> yeah, this is going to be worth it. This is going to be worth it. But um, it's the same as running. The first like kilometers, I'm always mm -hmm. like, no, that's it. I'm done. I'm just going to walk back home. I can't do it. But you just get past yeah. that point and very much yeah. worth it. You know, well, I know we're probably wrapping up, but this idea of flow, I read a great book uh, on the neuroscience of flow, getting into that state where uh, you're just connected, you know, to the world in a different way. And you can do that in cycling and you can do that in teams. You know, I was talking about those high performance teams and there was a word I was looking for and it was flow, like teams can just flow. And uh, life is great when you're in flow. 
Great. Thank you, Mary. And yeah, what a nice uh, thought to leave our listeners on. It's been fantastic speaking to you, Mary, getting some great insights on healthcare and some really great personal stories as well. So yeah, thank you so much for your time and for joining us on the Digital show. You're welcome. I'm grateful for the opportunity. Thanks to all our listeners uh, for joining us for this episode of the CEO.Digital show. Please do rate, review and subscribe. And if you'd like to hear more from Mary and NTT Data Services, please do visit CEO.Digital and check out the series of events and great content that we're working on with them.